IBF. Thank you for everyone who's kept me in prayer as I prepared, and thank you for those who've also helped me prepare for this sermon. Uh, for the last one hour or so, I seem to have suddenly developed a memory loss issue. So do pray for me that I don't lose my train of thoughts as I speak. Um, all right, so we've been going through the book of Luke, and uh, the portion that we're looking today is from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 36. This portion focuses on the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, let me start with an, an, um, an analogy. When my son Caleb um, was growing up, he got a taste of the, the juice tang very early on. And because he loved it so much, one of his favorite bedtime stories was when Jesus turned water into juice. How could Jesus do such a thing? We could repeat that story. We would repeat it quite frequently. And yet, every time, he would be amazed of how Jesus could do such a thing. There is this extraordinary element to that. And the passage today, um, where Jesus is transfigured and he is seen in all his glory, left a similar impression on the disciples. And these are men who have walked with Jesus, who have seen his power, his might. And yet, Luke is not writing something that is an everyday thing. They are seeing God in all his glory. And uh, today also we, we read from how uh, his glory is veiled. Uh, when we read from Isaiah 53 that there was nothing in him which attracted us to him. But on this mount, the disciples see him in a very different way. Now, before we get into the passage, I want to do. Uh, okay, uh, I want to just take a quick look at the what we have been through so far in the book of Luke, and I want to go through some major topics, but not everything. I want to draw out some point out of these. So, first, we saw the birth and childhood of Jesus. We saw the announcement from the angel Gabriel to different people. We saw the announcement to Mary, to Joseph and also to Zechariah as to what John the Baptist would be preparing the road for. Mary and Joseph, as Jesus' parents, also go through some extraordinary uh, experience as parents of Jesus Christ. Uh, they have people coming to them and uh, praising uh, or, or uh, talking about Jesus as more than just a usual child. The shepherds, the wise men, and even when Jesus is first taken to the temple. Then we have the preparation of Jesus' ministry. We have John the Baptist who comes onto the scene and he's preaching, um, he's preaching the gospel of repentance and he's preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist also baptizes Jesus and immediately after that you see the first time that God the Father affirms Jesus as his beloved son. Now through both of these uh, um, topics that we have seen, you see that Luke is um, drawing the identity of Christ. You have seen the identity of Christ being announced to, to different people and them preaching it out to the world as well. Then in chapter 4, starting in chapter 4, we look at Jesus' ministry in and around Galilee, in and around the region of Galilee. You see Jesus calling his disciples. We see Jesus' miracles, his authority over demons, over sickness, you see the, and, and all of these things, now he's facing opposition from the Pharisees. 
and through these experiences he's also preparing the disciples he's teaching the disciples about himself and of what lies ahead right and again you see the identity of christ being formed in all of this now chapter 9 which we have looked through in the last 3 weeks or so with uh, ld and liju speaking on chap- uh, from chapter 9 we've seen the last section of jesus ministry in the region of galilee at the end of chapter 9 he then starts his journey towards jerusalem and luke here in chapter 9 is focused on the preparation of the 12 disciples at the beginning we get to see the identity of christ through different sets of people first we see what herod thinks of jesus herod is perplexed by who this man jesus is and the kind of works that he is doing he first thinks or uh, people tell him that he is john the baptist whom herod has beheaded or he is elijah or he is a prophet of old then further in that chapter once jesus has fed the multitudes the disciples also tell him that the multitude think of him in a similar way he's either john the baptist elijah or a prophet of old so and then um, jesus turns to the disciples and says who do you think i am and peter the one who's quick on his feet says you are christ the son of god and luke does not record it but in the other gospels you see jesus response he says blessed are you son of jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father in heaven god is essential in us identifying jesus as who he is you know the wise of this world will reject christ through the same word and that word becomes to us life um, word that gives us eternal life god is essential for us to understand who jesus is So until this point the disciples have heard what Herod had to say about Jesus they have heard what the general crowd had to say about Jesus they've even confessed their own god-given understanding of who Jesus is now in this portion they're going to see some of them are going to witness Jesus identity as revealed by God himself now just to um set some context Uh, I want to look at a few verses before verse 28. Uh, Liju already took us through these verses in uh, two weeks back, but I just want to uh, quickly look at a few verses. Starting in verse 22, Jesus is, um, I'll just read 22 as well. Luke 9:22 The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. he's talking to his disciples and talking about the suffering that the son of man must go through before he is glorified and then he goes on to say that whoever is ashamed of him and his works when he comes in his glory he will be ashamed of them right and right after that he looks at his disciples and he says but truly i tell you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of god scholars have reached to different conclusions on what jesus means in this verse when he says that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of god but i want to just talk about one view which i believe in the context of the events um makes fits best now jesus is speaking of the glory um sorry jesus is speaking of when he comes to glory there will be some that he is ashamed of he's talking about those people and then he turns to his disciples and talks about people who are not going to die until they see the kingdom of god 
Now, each of the Gospels that record the, uh, the, the transfiguration have this particular verse of Jesus telling his disciples immediately preceding the portion. So the common conclusion, uh, the conclusion that you can come to is when Jesus says that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, the transfiguration is a preview of the coming of God. The transfiguration is a preview where some of the disciples, namely Peter, James and John, are going to see God in his glory. Right? Now, we also see Peter recalling this in his epistle. In 2 Peter 1, 16-18, he writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The transfiguration is a preview of God coming in all his glory. Okay, now we, um, we start with the portion uh, in verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So eight days after he speaks to his disciples that there will be some who will witness uh, the kingdom of God, he takes three of them, Peter, James and John, up the mountain to pray. Now, these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, sometimes they are called the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Not only over here, but there are several other portions where they are witnesses to things that even the other disciples are not able, uh, do not experience. For example, when Jairus' daughter was sick and, uh, uh, and Jesus had to go and heal her, but she had already died, he goes into a room where she is, And he takes with him Peter, James and John and the girl's parents and he shuts the door. Then you have the Mount of Transfiguration where these three are taken. And then later on you will see how in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, the same three disciples are taken along with him to pray as he pours out himself in sorrow to his father. It seems like Jesus in is preparing each of these individuals, each of these disciples to play a very significant role in the early church. And on this side of history, we can see that all of these three disciples did play a significant role in the early church. Peter was a leader in the early church. He was somebody that the believers looked up to. And he was the first apostle to open um, the preaching uh, of the gospel to the Gentiles when he preached to Cornelius. James was the first apostle to be martyred and John was chosen by God to witness as well as to write to us the book of Revelation explaining to us of the things to come. You know, it's such an amazing thing that Jesus, as he teaches all of his disciples, is also preparing these three individuals for the role that they play later on. So in verse 28, Luke does not identify the mountain that they have gone to pray. Uh, And perhaps that's insignificant because what's of the most importance here is what happens and not where. Luke does mention the intent of why they went up on the mountain. Jesus takes them to pray. Now throughout Jesus' lifetime, you will see that prayer is is an important part of his life. Though he is the son of God, when he has taken human form, he lives in full dependence on God, on his father. And he's setting an example for us to, as to how we must live as well, in full dependence of God the father. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 5.7. In the days of his flesh, 
Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence prayer was important to Jesus now in the old testament you have several instances where god reveals his mind when as a response to people's prayer for example in daniel chapter 9 verse 3 daniel says then i turned my face to the lord god seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and then in verse 27 while i was speaking in prayer the man gabriel whom i had seen in the vision at first came in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice he made me understand speaking with me and so on he goes when daniel prayed god gave him understanding and revelation of things that was not known before when jesus prayed on the mountain god is going to give revelation to the disciples and show jesus as he was not seen before there is both evidence and encouragement for us in the bible to have a good prayer life for ourselves so then the question is how important is prayer to us as an individual where do you and i stand um in this matter is prayer an integral part of our lives or is this something that we go to only in times of distress as families do we have the time to pray um together or is this something that we just cannot take time for in our busy lives we ought to follow the example that the men of god and the son of god himself sets for us in the bible and see the the uh, that there is power in prayer so the four of them have reached the spot on the mountain and verse 29 says as jesus prayed the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white now another thing that luke does not write here and we get from the other gospel is um luke only says his face changed the gospel of matthew says his face shone like the sun until now jesus was just like any other man he had supernatural powers he had authority over many things that no other man had but he looked like one of us but here his appearance has changed his face is shining like the sun as he was praying the appearance of his face changed now while we do not know what jesus was praying for it is implied that his transfiguration is um a response or is god's answer to his prayer there is power in prayer and transforming power now i came across this illustration on the power of prayer um and i i, I just wanted to share this because it's 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 real dr helen rosewer who was an english missionary to the region of zaire which is now the democratic republic of congo writes this a mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby we tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair so basically they're using water bottles to keep the baby warm so we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister one of the girls responded dear god please send a hot water bottle today tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead and dear lord send a doll for the sister so she won't feel lonely that same afternoon a large package arrived from england and apparently this is the first package that she gets from england the children watched eagerly as we opened it much to their surprise under some clothing was a hot water bottle 
Immediately the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere request. And five months earlier, he led a ladies group to send this package with both those items. There is power in prayer and God answers our prayers. While Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Now, Luke doesn't use the word transfigured, which basically describes a change in the appearance that comes from within. He simply writes, the appearance of his face changed. What's essentially happened is, Jesus' glory that has been hidden um, when he took upon human flesh is now being unveiled for the disciples. Jesus is revealing himself to the inner circle of the disciples who he is also preparing. They had until now only seen him as man with authority that no one else had. But now they have a better understanding or this vision gives them a better understanding of the deity of Christ. The identity of Christ is being unveiled for them. And you see later how this particular experience actually strengthens them to preach the gospel. And not only to preach, to also suffer and die for the gospel. Jesus has been preparing them all throughout their time with him. Now, you and I also have extraordinary experiences where God comes through for us like never before. Where we see him like we have not seen him before. All of these experiences are supposed to strengthen us and help us to trust in him more in the days to come. Just as it did for the disciples. Now, Jesus' face shining over here also reminds me of Moses on Mount Sinai. In in Exodus 34, you see, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Now, this seems at first very similar to Jesus shining over here, Jesus' face shining. But there is such a huge difference. Moses is only reflecting the glory of God, whereas Jesus is appearing in his own glorious form. The difference is as big as between the sun and the moon. The sun shines with its own light, whereas the moon is only reflecting the light that comes from the sun. There is no one like Jesus. And here on the mountain, the disciples get to see Jesus' glory being unveiled for them. Now, as Jesus appeared in his glorious form, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared. And they were talking with him and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses, through whom God rescued the nation of Israel from the hands of Egypt, and Moses, through whom God gave the laws to the kingdom of Israel, or to the people of Israel, and Elijah, who's probably representing all the prophets. They appear and they are talking to him about the departure that he's going to accomplish, where? At Jerusalem. Now, an interesting thing to note over here about Moses, all that Moses did when he Uh, when God through him worked to rescue the people of Israel was on the basis of a promise God made that he has heard the cries of the nation of Israel and he will rescue them from the hands hands of the Egyptian rulers and bring them to a land that was promised to Abraham. That was the promise on the basis of which all of Moses' work began and uh, he did all of that work. Now, but as, they get, as Israel gets closer to the promised land, because of his own sin, he is barred from entering. 
the, he gets a panoramic view of the land that God is going to give, but he's not allowed to enter. Now here is Moses, a thousand years or a, more than a thousand years later, in the middle of Israel and speaking to the Redeemer himself. Moses and Elijah appeared in their glory and this also affirms life after that. It gives us le- life after death. It also gives us a glimpse of um, what we can look forward to after our earthly life is done. They had their identities were retained. They most likely looked unique just like all of us look unique and they even spoke to Jesus. Now Luke does tell us what they spoke about. They spoke about the exodus or the departure that Jesus was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. Through his death on the cross, Jesus was going to lead people out of slavery to sin. Now the word accomplish that Luke uses is also interesting. Some versions say bring to fulfillment. Now uh, what you notice is it is Jesus who is accomplishing. It is Jesus who is bringing his plan to fulfillment. It is Jesus who is going to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah 53 of him being the suffering servant. Jesus didn't die on the cross under the power of the authority of Pilate or anyone else that was ruling at that time. He himself says to Pilate in John 19, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It is God who accomplished Jesus' death on the cross. Why? So that his sacrifice would be atoning for our sins. It is so that he can redeem those whom he has loved from the beginning. The work of Jesus on the cross is God's doing in love to rescue his beloved. Now, as this magnificent event is unfolding, where you have Jesus appearing in his glory, you've got um, people who have been dead for more than a thousand years appearing before Jesus and speaking to Jesus, the disciples, the inner circle whom Jesus is preparing are found to be asleep or are heavy with sleep. Now it's natural, this this event probably happened in the evening and they had just climbed up a mountain so it is a very natural outcome in the cold breeze of mountain air that they would feel sleepy. But their sleep is almost going to cost them witnessing this glorious event. You know, in different ways, the glory of God is made known to us on a daily basis. How awake are we? Do we are we awake to see the glory of God in the small things, or in or are we are we missing out on it because we are asleep? Are we missing out on it because our eyes are numb to it? Are we missing out on it because we are jaded by the everyday troubles of our life that we miss out on the glory of God? But when the disciples were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now that they were fully awake, they saw clearly the glory of Jesus and the two men who had appeared from, uh, from heaven. Now, interestingly, Peter or the disciples also, um, the three disciples, they identify Moses and Elijah. Right? And uh, though the the Though the text doesn't say how they identified, it is God's revelation, um, but they did identify Moses and Elijah. Now, as the two men, Moses and Elijah, were about to leave, Peter, who is now awake and he's quick on his feet once again, he he has realized what an amazing thing that he's seeing. He doesn't want it to end. 
and he says to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. The tent that Peter is suggesting that he build for the three of them is a tent that is similar to what the Jews built during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is to, to remember God's preservation of the nation of Israel throughout their journey as well as when they uh, look forward to the kingdom that is going to come, to God's kingdom that is going to come. But his suggestion seems to be inappropriate, like how the last part of the verse says, not knowing what he said or not realizing what he said. By building three tents, Peter is probably putting um, uh, Moses and Elijah at par with Jesus. And by building three tents and not continuing on his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus would have to bypass the cross. But For Jesus, he has come to accomplish his mission, which is that he would die on the cross for all of us. Before he gets, he receives the glory that is his, he had to suffer at the cross. And he in fact said this before they climbed the mountain. In Luke 9 verse 22, Jesus says, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Peter here makes a quick suggestion uh, without realizing what he was saying. And you see, almost as an immediate response to it, as Peter was speaking, they are overshadowed by a cloud. Now the cloud in the Old Testament was always um, um, the manifestation of God um, in their midst. The invisible God becoming locally present, you would, you would see the cloud appear. For example, uh, a couple of instances in Exodus. Exodus chapter 13, when the Israelites were walking in the desert uh, after leaving uh, Egypt, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. Then in Exodus 40, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. The glory of God appeared in a cloud. And even over here you see the glory of God appearing in a cloud and overshadowing them. Imagine this, you are speaking to Jesus who is in his glory and you make a suggestion and immediately you have a cloud coming and covering them completely. The disciples were afraid when that happened. And then a voice came out of cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, Listen to him. Now this is the second time that God spoke from heaven. Identifying Jesus as his son. The first is at the baptism. As Jesus comes out and as he is praying, you hear a voice from heaven which says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the second time that God the Father affirms Jesus as his son. The Father calls Jesus as my chosen one. It's not that God chose Jesus out of many options, but it's a title that Jesus has. He is the chosen one. Isaiah 42 says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus was the chosen one. There were great men present there on that scene. There was Moses and Elijah, great men from the Old Testament. But this is Jesus. There is none at par with him. This is God's chosen one. Now, and, 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 um, 
and that is followed by the command from god the father listen to him so the question is do you and i listen to god's word is that part of our daily life or are we living our life of of some spiritual experience that we occasionally have because the command that god gives here is as relevant to the disciples present there as it is to us how often do we listen to god's word now i'll uh, there are two more references that i want to use to as to why we must listen to jesus in the old testament we have a prophecy of a prophet greater than moses in the book of deuteronomy chapter 18 the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your countrymen you shall listen to him and the author of hebrews says this in chapter 1 we read this this morning the father in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world the father wants us the father wants the disciples to listen to jesus because he has put his words in the mouth of jesus so how can we not pay attention to jesus words god is affirming jesus as his son his chosen one and there is no one in comparison not even the great prophets from the old testament jesus stands alone and we would do well to listen to jesus now when the voice had spoken jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything that they had seen this is luke was 36 Luke chapter 9 verse 36 Once the father spoke through the cloud Jesus is now found alone Moses and Elijah have departed and Jesus is in his human form with his glory hidden as it was before and they kept silent and told no one of the vision that they had just witnessed If you look at the other gospels you see that Jesus actually commands them saying tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead so there was an appointed time until when they were supposed to keep quiet but when that time had come when the appointed time had come you can see that this had significant impact on them because peter writes this in second peter chapter 1 i read this verse earlier he says for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known when we made known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty this experience of viewing god in all his glory had significant impact on the lives of the disciples john in john chapter 1 verse 14 writes and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth this mount of transfiguration was one of the instances where john has witnessed god's glory The vision that Jesus shares with these three disciples has left a profound effect on them and in their faith once they had a full understanding of what Jesus was accomplishing when he died and he rose again and they had fully understood then all of their prior experiences with Jesus strengthened their belief and that helped them when you see how they suffered to preach the gospel how they suffered for the sake of the gospel in the midst of opposition these experiences had taught them all right i want to um draw out a few application questions from this passage um that speaks of jesus transfiguration and we if you see 
because the identity of Jesus has been discussed in chapter 9, we've had this same question being asked by both LD and Liju when they preached. The, f- the question is, who is Jesus? Right? You've seen the identity of Jesus through different people. But who is Jesus to you and to me? Now, this is a critical question. Right? It, it, it decides everything else that we have to do in life. Is he just a man who claimed great things but died at the hands of powerful men? Or is he Jesus who accomplished or who brought to fulfillment the prophecy that was made about him? Your answer and my answer to this question is going to determine how we look at everything else in our life. You know, when Paul understood the answer to this question... That enabled him to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So how would we answer this question today? Who is Jesus to you? Are we we just going to say that he is God and then leave it at that? Or does he define what life is about for each one of us? If you are on the fence about who Jesus is, may I suggest that you take an unbiased look at the Gospels to see what Jesus claimed and what has come true throughout history, how the prophecies about him from the Old Testament have been fulfilled. And if your understanding is the same as what God the Father says, which is that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the chosen one, then how much do we listen to him? Now, listening encompasses not just hearing. There is hearing of God's word, but there is also obedience to his word. We ought to make this a practice where we hear his word and we also obey. Of what significance is the word of God and prayer in your life? Is it only in times of trouble that we turn to him? Is it only when uh, we have no choice that we turn to Jesus? Or is he somebody who we worship daily? Next, how does it encourage you to see Moses and Elijah who have been dead for thousand years uh, present over there, recognizable, knowing what's happening and even speaking to Jesus to know that we too would be able to see our loved ones who have trusted in Christ after they are dead. What hope does that give to each one of us to know that there is life in Jesus? And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see that suffering was an essential part of his life. It was, an in, uh, it was his road to glory. So how do you and I view suffering for Christ? Do we, not that we have to go looking for suffering, but how do we look at suffering as we live our Christian lives? Let us consider these things in the light of what God reveals to us in his word. Now, in closing, I just want to Um, go back to my initial analogy of Caleb and his love for Tang. Because he loved Tang the first time that he tasted it, he always wanted more. Church, as children of God, you and I have tasted and known that the Lord is good in our lives. Are we going to be happy with the occasional sip or are we going to hunger for more? Our hunger begins with our love for God and our love for God begins with our time with God's word and the time that we spend in communion with him in prayer. So may I invite you to a renewed love, a renewed commitment to Jesus, 
to spend time in his word in prayer and in continuous obedience to him thank you for your patience let's pray father in heaven we thank you lord for um you left the the majestic position that you had with the father to come and die for each one of us who did not deserve mercy who did not deserve grace to come and die for us on the cross um we thank you that today we can come before you knowing that our sins have been paid for knowing that we have the freedom to approach you and also knowing that in you o lord we have life that comes after this uh we thank you lord jesus for the obedience and the that you showed to your father when you were when you took upon human flesh and the examples that you set for us we pray o lord for each one of us in the church that our commitment to you our love to you would be renewed as we look at your word and that we would look at you not only as a god that we approach on sundays as a god that we approach in times of our distress or need but a god who we come to daily in in desiring to know you more o lord jesus we commit ourselves into your hands in jesus name we pray amen